this is a season we give special focus to being thankful. And I think most of us know that's a, a posture that we should have all year long. I see those little things sometimes that pop up on the internet that says we should have 364 days of being thankful, then you get one day off, you know. But I'm glad that this is a season of thanksgiving. And we're going to be thankful this season. Amen? You ready for that? Amen. Dearly beloved songwriter Andre Crouch gave us that amazing song that the We've enjoyed the last few decades. It says this, how can I say thanks for the things that you have done for me? Things so undeserved, and yet you give to prove your love. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Speaking of songwriters, we have someone who is a guest in our service today. He's a very, very dear friend of mine. I have not seen him in many years. He would have been here a part of this fellowship in the at least the mid-80s and part of the 90s. I don't remember exactly the time frame. He was a very dear friend to the choir. We would take choir rehearsal when I had to be out of town or gone. They got almost no music rehearsed, but they had a lot of fun when he was there. <clears throat> I would come back and say, how did choir rehearsal? Did you do this? No, we didn't do any of that, but we had a great time. So, my dear friend Dan Burgess is here. Dan, would you stand? <laughs> I haven't seen him in a few years. You look great, my friend. Let me just tell you about my friend because on this day of giving thanks, I want to say thank you, Dan. It was in 1985. <clears throat> Somewhere in that period of time that Dan walked up here, became part of the fellowship, and began attending regularly, and, and I had done some little choral arrangements for the choir, things to, uh, for the choir to sing and try to find songs I thought was appropriate and things that were also appropriate to the teaching and the quality of teaching that Des Evans was giving this congregation, and so I'd find songs and put a little arrangements together with no intention of being an arranger or getting involved. And Dan walked up to this platform after a service, and he'd say, where, where did you get that arrangement that, you, that the choir did today? And I said, oh, I, I, I put it together this week. He said, oh, okay. Nice. Well, thank you. The next week, he came, and the same story. Where did, you, where did you get that arrangement? Because you have to understand, Dan moved here to be the director of publications uh, for Good Life Publishing Company. They had moved him here from Scottsdale, Arizona, where it had been before. He said, where did you get that arrangement? And I said, well, it's just something I put together. I think it happened over about three Sundays in a short period of time, and finally he says, we, we need to do a book of your arrangements. I said, really? Are you serious? And so out of that came the very first book that I ever had published through Good Life Publications, and we were recording it on June 17th of 1985 up at Bill Gaither's studio in, in Indiana. Dan was the producer, and I was conducting the orchestra with this large orchestra in a big orchestra uh, room there. And uh, that's when we got the news that my wife's father, Bill Nicewanger, had been tragically killed on a tractor accident. He was a farmer in Iowa. And it was Dan who had to pull me aside, take me outside and put his arm around me and say, your father-in-law has just been killed. And he was so wonderful in those years. And, you know, have you ever had a friend that's opened the door for you? Ever had a friend that has helped you? It was Dan Burgess who opened the door for me to all the things that have happened publish, publishing-wise for me in the last 30-something years. And Dan, you have been an incredible friend. You have been a mentor. 
you taught me about everything that I know about music and the publishing world, and I thank you, my brother, for being my friend. He made it possible for me. <clears throat> then the day came, and he called me one morning. I was at the office. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, whatever. And he said, can I come by? I said, yes. And he, uh, <clears throat> he walked in, and he, he had this a case that was about this big, and he walked in, and he plopped it on my desk, and he unzipped the top, and he pulled out a little Macintosh SE computer. Anybody remember those? And he said, you need one of these. And I'd heard of that was you know, Apple computer, those little cute ones with the, the screens that are about this big. And he said, all you do is just play your orchestrations in, and this computer prints them out. Well, that was a gross overstatement. <laughs> it took me over a year of working with that little box of trying to figure out how to, how to do that. It was much more complicated. But I so totally drank the Kool-Aid of that idea because it appealed to the organizational side of me. It appealed to the musician side of me. I, it was just the greatest idea in the world. But the problem is this. If you're an orchestrator, you need a monitor the size of a football field to see, you know, the whole orchestration, or at least what Jerry Jones has got going on out at the, out at the Texas Stadium. Orchestrate on a screen, you can see like two notes on a screen like this. So it was very, very difficult, but he convinced me that's what needed to happen. And then for years, I was calling him all hours of the day and night and saying, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? So thank you, because I now have become a diehard Macintosh person. And do I have any fellowship with anybody in the room today? The rest of you were hoping that you'll get saved sometime, but... Um, but that has been the story of our lives. How many of you know that, and even in a season like this, not everyone is thankful? I had something sent to me by a friend this week that I think it helps set the tone for this today. A young man named John received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was, Perfect timing. Is that me? Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words or playing soft music and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. Finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot and the parrot yelled back at him. John shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even more rude. So John, in desperation, threw up his hand, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. <laughs> For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. And then suddenly there was silence, total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Well, so now, fearing that he had hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer, and the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arms, and he said, I believe, sir, that I may have offended you with my rude <laughs> language and actions, and I am sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I, I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. 
He was just about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, and, and the bird spoke up very softly and said, you know, um, I, I was just in the freezer. Could I ask, what did you do to that turkey that you ticked, him off so, that ticked you off so bad? You don't all get it yet. The turkey was like, had the head cut, froze, you know. What he saw in that freezer, though, was enough to cause him to adjust his attitude. And how many know sometimes we all need a little bit of attitude adjustment? And quit poking the person next to you. Just accept it, okay? Not everybody's grateful. Every year, hundreds of letters arrive at the Jerusalem post office addressed to God. The majority of the letters are addressed to God, Jerusalem, Israel, or God the Wailing Wall. Either address directs the letter to the sorting room of the Israeli post office's dead letters department. The postmen in that department ensure that every piece of mail addressed to God reaches its destination, the Jewish holy site known as the Western Wall, where Jews traditionally place their prayer requests. The letters are collected, placed in a velvet bag, and then posted to God through cracks in the Western Wall. Some of, many of you have been there. Deliveries to the wall began several years ago when postmen decided that since there was no way to return the letters to the unknown senders, they might as well deliver them to the wall. Yitzhak Rabihaya, spokesman for the Israeli Postal Department, says some people go to a shrink or a rabbi and others write it down, put it in an envelope, slap on a stamp and, and write to God, Jerusalem, Israel. The prayer letters request many things from God. Some seek forgiveness of sins while others seek jobs or seek help with personal problems. Rabbi Haya remembers a letter in which the author listed so many problems that he had that the postal workers took a collection and sent the man $1,000 of the $1,200 that he had requested from the Almighty. Two months later, these postal, same postal workers noticed another letter from the same man written to God. And they thought, he's, he's, he's probably writing to send his thanks. Surely he is. At the end of the letter, the man wrote, thank you for the money, but please, Next time, don't send it through those postal service workers. Those thieves stole 700 shekels. God help us to be grateful in all things. Can I get an amen to that? You know, sometimes it is tough to be grateful. When your life is consumed with challenging circumstances, many of you know what it is to have your body racked with pain and it's just... Um, it can be difficult to be thankful. Sometimes our burdens become, though, our blessings. In his book, Future Church, Ministry in a Post-Seeker Age, Jim Wilson writes about how having cancer and losing his voice is something that he is now grateful for. Today, if God said to me, I'll give you that year back, you can go back to a cancer-free state, you can relive the year with your voice and without cancer. But you'll never know the loyalty you experienced from a church that stood beside you. Or the love that you came to know from your bride who lived her wedding vows in sickness and in health before you. And you will never know that your brokenness is covered with my grace. Well, Jim Wilson's response was this. He said, I would say, no thank you, I'll keep the cancer. Out of the brokenness, I found peace. In the silence, I heard God. 
You know, folks, gratitude isn't the byproduct of a Pollyanna existence. It is what happens to us once we've sunk our teeth deeply into life and tasted the bitter along with the sweet, the rotten along with the ripe. A man who many believe was the greatest American president is a good example. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home, and he went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, the business partner died, and the resulting debt took years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then failed to be reelected. His own son died at four years of age. When this man was 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At age 47, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. But at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. This man was Abraham Lincoln, a man who learned to face discouragement and failure and move beyond it. Did you know that it was Abraham Lincoln who, in the midst of the Civil War in 1863, established the annual celebration of Thanksgiving, and he is the one who turned it into an official federal holiday. Others acknowledged and recognized, but he was the one who turned it into an official federal holiday. And that's because Lincoln had learned how important it is to stop and thank God in the midst of great difficulties. The failures that he faced developed maturity, patience, and perseverance in his life. In many ways, America's Thanksgiving reflects the words of the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk, depending upon how you say it. Though he lived in perilous times, and though he feared the future, this prophet prophet thanked God. He realized true Thanksgiving finds its roots in the God of heaven rather than in his many gifts. In Habakkuk 3, uh, chapter 3, he says, though the fig tree does not bud, And though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Church, when are we going to realize and get honest about the fact that none of us live in perfect circumstances? There's not a person in this room who lives in perfect circumstances. And when... When are we going to stop doing the comparison thing by comparing our lives to everyone else that we see on social media, which causes us to determine that our circumstances aren't perfect? It proves to us over and over what we've done isn't as good as what they did. They're happier than we are. They've got more than we have. They're taking more vacations than we are. They've got a better job than we have. But you know this. On Facebook, everyone lives a perfect life. Amen? That's because the them that they want you to see or the life that they want you to see is the perfect one. And when are we going to realize that we shouldn't wait for our circumstances to be perfect for us to be truly grateful? You all know the verse from John 3.16. Probably one of the first verses, if not the first verse you ever learned. For God, the world that he That whosoever should not but have, let's say the first part again, for God, stop right there. The third word, for God, that little word is so important to our understanding of what we're talking about today. That little word, so, if you live long enough, 
You'll be saying thank you many, many times. You'll also be saying I'm sorry many, many times. But notice with me how interesting it is the difference that little word so makes. It adds intensity. It adds, it adds emotion. I am so sorry. I, I, am, I am so grateful for what you have done for me. I thank you so much for doing that. I just want you to see what happens when we remove that little word so from John 3.16. It just begins to diminish the verse. For God loved the world that he gave. Doesn't have the same impact, does it? Doesn't feel the same. It's good. But how much more intense, how much more significant it is when you put that little two-letter word in there. You know, we teach our children to say, thank you so much. And we, you know, I have parents come by the office all the time, and often there's a little treat either in the pastor's office or Priscilla's office, and you'll always hear the parent, what do you say to them? Thank you so much. And you can tell mom and dad have trained them and trained them and trained them at home. But just as we try to teach our children to be grateful, I think God's trying to teach us how to be grateful, church. Trying to teach us, really, the right way to say thank you. And you know what? Just like we used to get overdue in returning our books to the library. How many remember what a library is? Remember those? This building you go, went to that had lots of books, you could check them out for a period of time and take them back. Does anybody remember before the internet, we, if you wanted to read some article, this thing called, was it Microfish? Was that what it was? Or then, if you ever wanted to look up a, um, try to find a certain book, you went and found its card in this little wooden shelf that you pulled out. Anybody with me here this morning? And then you would check the books out, and then I actually heard, you're going to think I'm making this up, about a year ago, somebody finally hit the, 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 the um, biggest number in how long they had had. There was a man who was a researcher, I think he was in the East Coast somewhere, who had checked out like 300 books and kept them for 40 years. You know what the bill was? $31,000. Overdue. Overdue. And you know what? I think we often get overdue in our giving thanks to God. And here's why. Because we're waiting for something to happen for which we can thank him. When really, I'm proposing to you this morning, that's the wrong process. Our, Our thing looks like this. We pray, we ask God for something, it happens, and then we say thank you. But I want to propose to you this morning that we've got it all turned around backwards. And I'm going to show you this from the word of God today. Get this, thank yous are not supposed to happen after your miracle, but before. Not supposed to happen after, but before. What makes me think that is because that's the lesson that Jesus himself gives gives to us. I want to show you what happens in two of Jesus' greatest miracles and to see what happens before the miracle takes place. You're going to see in these situations, he starts his prayer to his father, not by asking what he wants to see done. That's not the first thing he says, but rather by first saying thank you. Instead of starting off with, I need this or or, or, I need that, he starts off with thank you. First, let me tell you something interesting that you'll discover when you read through the Gospels, at least it's what I've found so far. Do you realize that for all the miracles Jesus performed, all the incredible things he did for people, there is only one place that you can find 
only one person that you can find in all the New Testament who actually returned to say thank you. Only one. Think of entire cities that Jesus touched. Think of all the things he did for how many people. You've read through the Gospels and seen what all he did, and yet only one recorded thank you. And it was a group of 10 people that had leprosy. We're going to look at that in Scripture in just a moment. Now, for sure, you'll find people praising God. You'll find uh, people rejoicing. You'll see all of that. But this is the only recorded thank you that I can find. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 17, as we look at what happened here. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And then the Bible throws in an interesting little phrase here that I think there's a, just a piece of interest for it. It says, this man was a Samaritan probably or possibly implying that the other nine were Jews. So the guy that was least likely to say thank you is the one who ends up giving thanks to Jesus. So what were the other nine thinking? Were they assuming that they deserved this healing? Church, we need to always remember, when you feel entitled, you will never be grateful. Take that home and see if that preaches with your teenagers, okay? (laughs) But I'm telling you the truth. When you feel like you deserve it, when you feel like you've got it coming, when you feel entitled, you will never be grateful for it. Those two things cannot coexist. So look at me what happens after the thank you. Stay with me here in this verse. It's as if God brings an even greater miracle in this story. They were cleansed of leprosy. Nine went on. But Jesus gives the one grateful man a word that the other nine did not get. Verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Again, further probably letting us know that, that the others were probably Jews. And Jesus said to the man, stand up. And go, and notice this phrase, your faith has healed you. Now let's be clear about this this morning. God notices gratitude. He pays attention. He notices when someone says thank you to him. We notice it, do we not? You go to the store or wherever, wherever you are and you, you purchase your items and you give the clerk your money or your credit card or whatever, and as they hand something back to you, you expect them to say thank you. And if they don't, thank you for bringing your business here. And if they don't, you notice it. Well, God notices when we say thank you. He certainly noticed here, as we have record of. You know, I think Jesus, if he'd wanted to, he could have thought, here I've been healing people for three years, and today I'm seeing a miracle. Someone finally said thank you. I think the Lord notices even in a service like this today, church, when you just simply come into the house of the Lord, gathered with God's people, and you're able to lift up your voice or lift up your heart, lift up your hands and say, Lord Jesus, amidst everything else, all the calamity that's going on, I just want to say thank you for what you have done. He has noticed your thank you today. So here's what he gives to this man beyond his cleansing. He says, your faith has made you well. 
the thank you guy got something more than the other nine did. All ten were cleansed. But when he looks at the tenth guy, or the one grateful man, he says, your, your faith has, and actually he switches words here, and from, from the Greek, the Greek word is actually sisoken. It's the same word for, word for salvation. Very easy to say, your faith has saved you, is essentially what's saying if you look at the original language there. He's basically saying to this guy, you not only got the cleansing, but because you were grateful, you got something else as well. And there is a lesson here for us, church, and the lesson is this. Thankfulness will take you from where you are to where you need to be. Let that soak for just a minute. Thankfulness will take you from where you are to where you need to be. I want to show you two prayers of Jesus this morning. Jesus said thank you more to God, his Father, than anyone else in the Gospels did. Go with me now to Matthew chapter 15. It was the moment where you have thousands of hungry people and not enough food. You have thousands of hungry people, and the only thing you have is a little boy with five live, five live wives, five loaves and two fishes. And somehow, you've got these thousands of hungry people, and you realize, we need a miracle here. How many would say that qualifies for a miracle? We need a miracle. God, we need you to show up. And here in this miracle that all of us are f- familiar with, are the five loaves and two fish, and what happened? They are multiplied through prayer. It's amazing how Jesus begins to pray for this miracle. Let me tell you, if, it, if, if Dan would have been in charge at that moment, it would have sounded something like this. Oh, God, we are in trouble here. Got all these hungry people. I just preached this message, and some Einstein told him we were serving lunch. And all I have is this kid here with five loaves and two fish. And even if I, if I slice it up, the best I can do is just serve some of us an appetizer of some sushi and a little breadcrumbs. That's all I got. And my prayer would probably finish with something like this. So you'd better do something now. I don't know how, but I know when. When we need this now. My prayer would be a desperation prayer. And it would be a prayer of me telling God what he needs to do. Has anybody in the room ever done that along with me? You're not even going to admit it, are you? Yes, you have. I need that check in the mail now as I walk to the mailbox. I need that job now. I need to be married now. Some of you have prayed. I need it now. But Jesus flips this on us and he says this, Matthew 15, 36. And then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And what does it say? Thanked God for them and broke them into pieces, and gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food, and nowhere in that prayer is, we're in trouble. It was, God, I thank you. When was the last time that you or I We're in a desperate situation and started off with thank you. We know we're supposed to, and sometimes you'll hear prayer started that way. But when you get desperate, and when you're in that mode of this is intense, you kind of skip past the thank you part, and you get right to being sure God knows exactly what it is you need. When's the last time that even in the midst of your desperation, you said, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you're right on time. Thank you that you see what's going on here. Thank you that you're in charge. Thank you that you are sovereign. 
But so many of my desperate situations bring desperate cries out of me. And sadly, most of those prayers are typically me even threatening God. God, you'd better do something. Your name is on the line here. You better do something. I'm walking out right now. And we threaten because we're angry with God. And there are some in this room today who are angry with God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do according to your timetable. He didn't meet your calendar. But I'm here to tell you, God is always right on time. Churches, it is amazing to see what happens when you start off with thanking him instead of demanding from him. And then here's the good part, the really good part. Thankfulness, as we've just seen in this passage, multiplies what you have. Thankfulness multiplies what you have. Not only does he begin to provide, but he also provides leftovers that you didn't even think he could do to start with. God says, start thanking me. I'll not only meet the need, but there will be leftover stuff that you didn't even pray about. God says, I'll fix it and even add more to it when you thank me for it. Somebody say hallelujah for that. Let me show you the other one. John chapter 11, if you're, if you're with me here. The brother of Mary and Martha has just died. You know the story. Lazarus has been put in a tomb, and he has been in this tomb for four days. And I love the fact that the King James says it this way. I just love, he stinketh. <laughs> Who would have ever thought you could take a, a root word like stink and add eth to it and come up with stinketh? But it's there. He stinketh. And we know that Jesus wept because someone close to him, someone he deeply cared for, has died. Four days he's in a tomb and they are still weeping over the death of their brother. And then Jesus shows up. He simply looks at them and says, where have you laid him? Remove the stone. John 11, verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside and then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, get him up out of here right now because we need a miracle. No, he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Now, I would have expected him to say, Father, this is a, this, this is a serious miracle. We've, we've taken this whole miracle thing to a new level. I can do loaves and fish. I can calm storms. But this death? You could have expected that. But notice that instead of desperation or any other approach, he simply says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Verse 42, you always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of the people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And not one word about resurrection. Not one word about send life back to him. It causes me to wonder, church, I can't help in looking at this as the Lord began to put this on my heart. It causes me to wonder if sometimes we've got our praying all wrong. Maybe we need to stop telling God what he needs to do. Instead of, you know, I, he's sovereign, church. Maybe we need to stop telling God what he needs to do. And instead of letting God be God, we keep telling him, do this, do that. We need this, we need that. And Jesus simply says, I thank you that you hear me. And it has nothing to do, his prayer has nothing to do with raising Lazarus up. Lazarus up. Verse 43. Then Jesus shouted after praying that simple prayer, Lazarus, come out. Here's the lesson for us, church, in this. When you are 
thankful. Things not only multiply, but it brings dead things to life. Would you consider with me for just a moment this morning, maybe, just maybe, God is saying to us, quit asking for resurrection. Just say thank you. Quit asking for more money. Quit asking for a better job. Quit asking for this. Quit asking for that. How about just saying, Lord, thank you for what you have already done for me. And watch what God can do when you are grateful. Three points and then I'll be done sometime today. Here is the danger. The danger is that we ask before we give thanks. Some people say, oh, I'm, I'm thankful. I, I just don't express it out loud. Let me tell you something. Silent gratitude isn't gratitude at all. How's that work at your house with your kids? You expect them to say thank you. What if they say to you, well, Mom, I'm grateful. I just didn't want to say it. No, you expect them to show gratitude. Open up your mouth and say, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Those who are angry and bitter with God, maybe the way to bring healing to you is not to simply say, Lord, bring healing. Maybe the way to bring healing is just to start with, Jesus, I thank you. There is so much to be said about the posture of gratitude. What it does to you. How it changes Everything about you, inside and out. The posturing of gratitude. And it's what the Lord is looking for in us. So many of us keep asking God for stuff instead of saying thank you. Thank you for hearing me. And I don't know about you, but i got to be honest with you today. When I look back over my life, and I look back over circumstances and things in particular, those, particularly those moments that stand out in my life, I have to be honest and say, I have been stingy with my thank yous to God. I've been stingy. I've been withholding my thank yous to God waiting for the miracle. And basically by my actions saying, you know, by my behavior. You know what, what the adage is, I can't believe your words, I can only believe your behavior. I believe your behavior, not your words. But by my actions saying, Lord, you'll get a thank you if you do this for me. I might not have said it that way, but my actions were saying that. You'll get a thank you if, if, I, you know, if I see something here. Some of us don't have the guts to admit it, but it's certainly true with me. Lord, do this, then you get a thank you. Give me the present, then you get a thank you. And God goes, you've got it wrong, because that's not the way the Son of God did it. My danger has been the stinginess of my soul. And God, how dare I try to hold you hostage to my gratitude. That's nonsense. You deserve the praise if you, do not, if you do not do one more thing for me. You deserve the honor and the glory if nothing else happens for me. You deserve every last breath of thank you that I have in my being. So the danger is the stinginess of our soul. But here's the challenge. I take you to Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, here's the way it doesn't read. I want you to notice when I eradicate those two, two words. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. That's without the, with thanksgiving. And honestly, I think for much of my life, that's the way I've been living it out. I have lived life leaving out those two words. I like the other part, making my request known. I like that part. I've made my request known to God so often without thanksgiving. I have operated by the concept that I will give you thanks when you give me what I've requested. And God says, you've got it backwards, Dan. You're supposed to say thank you before the request is answered. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. The danger is being stingy. The challenge is to make your request with those two very necessary words. The miracle in all this is that maybe in our our, um, password keychain society, have you noticed that everything now needs a password? Everything needs a password. No matter what it is, you got to have a password. And it dawned upon me that in my prayer life, I keep typing in the wrong password. I'm sitting there going, hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, an account that maybe I opened up years ago and, you know, I got a little bit of consistency somewhat to passwords or a plan with my, my favorite ones or whatever. But something I've done years ago, I've forgotten what that, what that is, the password. Everybody who sees me type thinks I tear up my keyboard because I type with intensity. The little thing's going. Okay. Oh, God, this is what I need. Enter. Mm -mm. Hmm. Why isn't that opening up? Hmm. I need this, God. My prayer request is, why won't it open up? What does the Bible say? In Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. In my study software that I have, I can open up several versions of scripture, maybe four or five, and look at, I look at so many, that's why you'll see different versions used. Listen to these words from the message. The same verse, the same Psalm 100 from the message, it says this, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Who wants to talk praise today? Thank him, worship him. And I said to myself, I remembered it. That's it, T-H-A-N-K-Y-O-U, exclamation point, enter. And the thing opens up because I said thank you. (laughs) Thankfulness is the pivotal point of the whole thing. Let me give you an example, another example from Scripture, and then we'll close. Think of that chapter in the New Testament that is one of the most dejected chapters in all the Bible, Romans chapter 7. Here is exhausted Paul, feeling like, I can't do this. My flesh is winning. I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And he's exhausted with his own shortcomings and his own flesh. And then he sees the, the wretchedness in himself. And the climax of his disgust 
is this. In Romans chapter 7, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then I don't know what clicks between verse 24 and verse 25, but something clicks. Some shift takes place right there. Now remember the password. What's the password? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Oh, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at the shift that happened because he had the right password. Something clicks there, and password makes it one of, the most, one of the most victorious chapters we have in all the New Testament, chapter 8. Last verse. Arthur, if you want to come to the keyboard, please. Let me give you the one last password code connected with this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This one gets harder for me. But in the toughest seasons, you say thank you. Lord, thank you that you're maturing me. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. For, forgive me for my stingy thankfulness. Forgive me for being so infantile of waiting for the gift before I say thank you. What was I thinking? How did I not get that? In everything, give thanks. In everything. Really? In everything, give thanks. Some of you sitting here have heard or read the famous commentary by Matthew Henry. When you read the story of his life, you'll read where he was robbed one day coming home from church. He was attacked by thieves and robbers, and they stole his wallet. But it's in some of his writings what he put in his journal that day or in his diary. He put four things. And I think when I tell you what these four things are, it's going to prove to you this man gets it. He really gets it. Number one, he said, let me be thankful first that I was never robbed before this day. Number two, although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. I know something about that. Number three, they took my all, but it wasn't much. And number four, let me be thankful that it was them who robbed and I wasn't the one doing the robbing. That, my friend, is an example of how to live the verse that says, in everything give thanks. Let's stand As we close this service today, let me tell you this. We're not going to ask God for one thing. I think it's time to simply let the Lord know that we've been stingy, at least if you're like me. Been stingy with our gratitude. We've had it all wrong. We had it backwards. We've been requesting and waiting. And then when it comes, we say thank you. But you know, some of you will remember when R.T. Kendall was here some 18 months or so ago. I think he's coming back sometime in 2015, if I understand correctly. He would pray for people in my office when he was our guest here. 
And he prayed a prayer. He started a prayer with gratitude. And then I noticed a phrase that he used over and over and over. When you have a great man of God like that, you pay attention to how they pray. You pay attention to what they're saying. And he was praying for various people, just whoever walked in, for whatever reason, he was grabbing them and praying with them. Or asking him how he could pray for them. And I heard him say this phrase over and over and over. He said, from this day forward. And I thought, how can, how can you say that? But in faith, you can say, Lord, because on this day I recognize that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have convicted me of something. And therefore, I want change to take place. I know that it only happens as you enable me. It only happens as you help me. But I want to know, is there anybody in the house today that wants to say, from this day forward, I want to give him thanks. Is there anybody in the house today? From this day forward, we're not going to wait for the miracle to say thank you. Why would we do that? From this day forward, we're going to ask him to give us the grace and the help that we need to live a life of gratitude. From this day forward, we're going to say, Lord, let me walk so humbly before you that I'm so aware of your presence. I'm so aware that everything I have is because you have given it. I'm so aware that every breath I draw is because you give it. From this day forward, I want my life to exude someone who is truly thankful. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? Let's put the other hand up and say, Lord, I thank you. Come on, open your mouth. Silent gratitude is no gratitude at all. Open your mouth. Lord, I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you've redeemed me. I thank you that you're working in my life. I thank you that you care. Your eye is upon me, oh God. I thank you that this morning mercies were new and great as your faithfulness. I thank you that we can count on you. I thank you that you're always right on time. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We will thank you. Let our gratitude come first. Lord, let the whining cease. Oh, we're so good at that. And let our hearts be filled with gratitude understanding that your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, let our thank you come first, not last. It's not a result of. Our thank you is because we recognize the God we serve and that you are the sovereign one. You're the sovereign one. I want Pastor Brent to lead us in that song I referenced earlier that Andre Krauts wrote. And I want you with every fiber of your being. Oh, church, I want you to learn how to sing loud. Why do you hold back for crying out loud? You're with people who love Jesus. You're with people who also want to worship Him. You might be with someone who's a little more timid and maybe you being freer will loosen them up. Not looking for noise, for noise sake. But I tell you what, when we come as believers in, in, in Christ and people who know Him and love Him and we gather together, that's the time that you need to sing from your toes all the way down here. Let it come forward. First of all, let's just give a shout of praise to Jesus. Come on, let's do it.